0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Welcome back to Brooker Mode for episode thirteen. I'm joined by Jen Hart. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. It's a pretty epic setup we have here. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, me too. And yeah, it's great to have a girl on the potty finally. So before we get into all the rowing stuff, I've got a little icebreaker question, and this one, I don't know, if, I'm hoping you didn't read it on my screen.
2: No, I haven't read it yet.
1: Okay. How much Bannister Downs milk do you drink? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't so much of a Bannister Downs convert until I've um, been to Johnson's Farm recently and got pretty addicted. Um, so, I mean, a lot when it's there, to be honest. Yeah. It's... It's pretty much like liquid gold.
1: Did they supply any to waste or any of the events or anything like that?
2: Yeah, they actually supplied um, Nationals. They basically like sponsored Nationals because they're partnered with um, Rowing Australia now. So that's pretty epic. There was like a massive Bannister Downs truck at Nationals just like handing out free milk. And I was like, oh my God.
1: Yeah, so, so good. good. They used to always bring so much to our regattas. So good. So I don't know too much about you. So, and... The audience might not know too much. So let's get – I want to know a bit more about where you went to school and sort of like family life for you.
2: Yeah. Um, so I guess relevantly um, my parents kind of split up in like 2016. Um, so I've mainly been living with my mum since then um, but I'm still – and my brother lives at my dad's house um, but still like pretty good. I go and see my brother all the time. He's my best friend sort of thing. So that was kind of in like year eight. Um, I went to St Hilda's and I had like an academic scholarship there and um, I kind of like the benefactor so the person who like sponsored my scholarship I met with her and instead of talking about anything to do with like academics she just decided to mention rowing like 10 times in the conversation in like half an hour and so I was like oh my god like guess I better give this lady a go she is paying for my extremely expensive school fees after all um, and so it I guess that's kind of how I started rowing. Um, That was in year 10 and kind of have been doing that since then. Pretty chatty person apart from that. Lots of different interests. I like to do vlogs. I like to run, um, go hiking. Yeah, that's pretty much comprehensively me. So um, before
1: you started rowing, you did a lot of other sports too. Yeah. What, what were they?
2: So I think being tall, like... I wouldn't like to say I was very good at any of the other sports. I just think I was pretty handy. Like I played netball since like year two. So that was kind of like a favourite pastime. I tried basketball um, where I was told to stand underneath the goalposts well, not the goalpost, the, the hoop, and just get catch rebounds. And I wasn't allowed to bounce the ball because I was too unco. I played water polo for a bit, tried hockey for a season, but mainly I'd say probably netball and volleyball. I just did all the kind of like IGSA sports or like interschool school sports that you'd usually do.
1: So what was one of the most appealing aspects of rowing? I mean, physically.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I actually never wanted to try rowing. To me, it kind of like... I don't know, I think a lot of people will um, relate to this who know what rowing's about, but kind of like all the crazy people do rowing. Um, and so I was like, oh my God, no, like I'm not getting up at 5am, Ill. like you're getting rained on, it's so much more training. Uh, like for, for the girls' schools, like most inter-school sports, you'd only have one training session and one game a week. And rowing had like five or six training sessions a week and like you'd only compete five times or something. And so it just didn't seem worth it to me, like I didn't get what the hype was about. And then even when I tried it, like, I don't know, like, what it was about the sport that made me love it because you'd you'd have, like, blisters, your hands would be bleeding, like, your legs would be screaming for a break. There was just so much pain involved. But I think the the thing that attracted me to it was the community um, and the fact that I guess it introduced me to a lot of people that weren't in my friend group at school. And I think it's kind of, like, the common values of, like, of hard work and you just have this kind of, like, shared... ...thing that no one else understands and no one else knows about. Like, it was it was pretty special and it gave me a break from everything else.
1: Yeah, no, nah, 100% agree. I, I think you hit the hammer on the... I, I can't <laughs> yeah. say that saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's so true having that, like, shared experience... ...and sort of no one else gets it, do they?
2: Yeah, 100%. That's, like, a massive thing. It's just, like, honestly, no one else gets it. And, like, it's so hard to understand from the outside, like, why you'd want to do it. But it's honestly... Like for me, it's the it's the process and the community, like the everyday sort of thing of getting to push yourself to your limit, getting to challenge yourself, and the feeling of already like getting off the water at seven or seven thirty and having done like two whole hours of exercise and seen the sunrise and shared the laughs and shared the tears, like it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I get. So you guys had what days did you train on when you were at Saint Hilda's?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Probably couldn't tell you. I mean, I think we had like four mornings and like two afternoons we didn't do any weights it was more just like we'd have like a fit uh, an afternoon fitness session an afternoon erg session and then like four on water sessions in the morning i think
1: did you have like the double session so like morning no
2: nah, you won't find any of those at excel <laughs> <laughs> Um, Oh, sorry, as in, like, double in a day? Yeah, so, like, Uh, morning session on the water and then, like, an early session afternoon. In, like, year 11 and 12, I think we ended up having one of those a week. But, like, to to be honest, I'm pretty sure they abolished that because towards the end of the season, like, everyone would just, like, you'd just hear the most incredible excuses when it came to the afternoon session. I think there's a slightly different culture surrounding girls rowing um, than, than the PSA rowing. I mean, it's similar enough, but yeah we, we tried to just do one of one session a day
1: <laughs> so how do you think before you went into rowing do you think you sort of had the mindset that was suitable for it like that sort of very determined mindset that was like or do you think rowing has sort of helped bring those strengths out in you
2: no I th- I think it was pretty intrinsic like I'm a very like very focused driven person um like my parents never had to push me to do well at school i was always like oh like look if i say if i got like 80% in a test i'm like what what did i lose the 20% on and i'd be like i'd be like driving myself to do better next time um i'd always need to feel really prepared um in any sport that i did i guess no matter how good it, i was at it like i'd have that really competitive drive so i think that's also what made me good at rowing. Like I sort of have this thing where whatever I commit to and whatever I care about, I have to do like to the best of my ability really, really well. Um, and so I definitely think like when I started to get a bit better at rowing, um, like when I started to get talent identified in first few years in waste, like that's probably what like helped me to get so good so quickly um, was just that sort of like intrinsic drive that I had just to do everything to the best of my ability.
1: You were telling me before how your ergo was one of the, the main reasons that you were like scouted to go higher um, into the way sort of yeah. program. I guess my question here is like, when they're so like critical of like the technical side of it, did that affect you at all mentally, or were you because rowing was such a new thing? You did didn't you were like, oh, I've got so much to learn.
2: Yeah, I think it was probably a case of um, ignorance is bliss. Like, I was obviously – like, as soon as I got into rowing, probably after my first year, I was like, oh, this is – like, I, I loved it. I signed up for another year and I, I'd, like, look at the girls who were doing pathways and the girls who were doing Oz team stuff or state team stuff and I was like, oh, my God. I'd kind of, like, worship them and I'd just be, like, doing research on it and everything. Um, So, like, I was scouted for my erg but I guess it didn't really – like, I'd only been rowing for kind of, like, a year and a half, like, at this time, so I was still – frequently catching crabs like opening up early kind of like rowing quite barbarically um so I mean I was pretty determined to fix what I could but like it didn't it didn't really affect me too much
1: so I guess what do you think your strengths were as a row I guess there's do you think it helped that their rowing is not such a a big sport like was there not too much competition or was there other really talented athletes and the sort of waste program.
2: I think in terms of like my year group, it was sort of yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the competition I had, it was really good especially coming into the waste program because I came in with like as a four, like with four other girls. So, there were four of us that were pretty similar in erg's, pretty similar in strength. We were all doing the same training. So, it was it was really good to be in a competitive environment because prior to that like in the school program, there wasn't really anyone like close to me at all that I could compare off of um especially kind of like erg wise so that was really epic like I I loved the waste environment and I still love it for like how we all push each other and bring each other up and work off each other um so that's really cool and I guess like yeah I mean it is not one of the more popular sports yeah, I don't really know how that comes into it for me, but um I definitely find it helpful having people to push off and having people similarly, like similar similar skill levels around me. Um and I think as well like that came from like in the beginning having quite a few people in the waste environment that were a little bit older than me as well and it was awesome to have them like as a role model um and to kind of like s- see the standard um to work towards.
1: So, do you think then being like a part of such a a smaller community like in the rowing it's like made you guys closer because I feel like yeah. if you're in Perth and you play footy it's like so what so does like half a million people here yeah but because there's such like a small amount of you guys I guess that sort of just makes you definitely closer
2: that's one of the things I love about it as well because like rowing is a pretty like it's a pretty messed up sport when you think about it like you're just spending like I don't know like we'd train for like 20 or 24 hours a week just aerobically like that's not including gym we like, have four gym sessions a week and like 20 to 24 hours of aerobic training where you're just like pushing yourself to your limit you're constantly uncomfortable and so like it takes a certain type of person to be able to do that um over and over again and especially since like the chances of like actually making it and achieving your goal are like com- I don't know in hindsight like quite slim um yeah so it's pretty cool you end up getting really close to the people you train with because you literally I spend more time with them than my family I probably spend more time at waste than at home like it's it's really cool to like to share that with them and I definitely think that the small community like really plays to your advantage as well like you feel really comfortable you always know everyone and especially like with the juniors coming through as well like I get a lot out of kind of like I can see them and relate to them because it, it wasn't so long ago that I was in their position and. I kind of just remember how I used to look up to say like one of my friends Liv Jones who I used to row with, like she was three years older than me and I remember going through school and just looking at her and being like, oh my God, like she's incredible. Like and then she becomes your friend and I I kind of endeavour to like because it's such a small community, it's easy to to push yourself to do that for the younger kids coming up as well. So, yeah, I I definitely love it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Having like a smaller but a lot closer relationships can be better than just having a few like heaps of like average sort of friends I guess yeah so one thing I wanted to ask was obviously you played the other sports but most of them don't test you mentally and physically like rowing mm. and I know you said you were determined but nothing really prepares no, you yeah. for <laughs> <rowing>. so that, <laughs> that's this it probably helps that I've done rowing because I feel like not many people would be able to um relate to the experience because you can play many sports um and you like for example footy like you're tired you can just stop running in a mm-hmm. boat when you're rowing and there's 800 meters left in the race like or you're on an ergo and there's live feedback and you can't just like stop yeah, like yeah um I guess my question is like how did you sort of learn to deal with that sort of new sort of adversity
2: oh okay um I think again probably like just the way I am naturally like definitely played to an advantage um but again like a probably a really good thing about like the rowing culture like it, I think as well in WA like the rowing culture uh, sort of the number of people who row like it's a lot smaller of a group than say in like New South Wales or Melbourne like there's not a lot of rowing schools and then if you're not coming through school you're coming through talent ID so I guess it's um the older people well, the older rowers like the um girls and the guys at the NTC and especially like all of us moving through like we're pretty imminent about like creating a really excellent culture so there's, like – and I'm pretty sure they do this in schools as well. But, like, as soon as you start erging, like, there's just this um, – there's just this expectation, like, if you start an erg, you don't stop it. Like, unless you're actually going to injure yourself, like, you don't stop it. And, like, it's – you always just have to finish it. Like, no matter how bad it is, like, doing the work is better than, like, chickening out and not doing the work. And, again, like, with rowing, like, it's – it's hard to explain, but it's definitely different in, in the way you push yourself. Like, I'd never experienced – any type of fatigue and pain in any of the other sports. Like it doesn't come close until I started rowing. And I think like it really helps especially in crew boats or or like when you have the people you train with and you know really well, at least for me, like it's sort of the relationship and the trust I have in them that pushes you to keep going. Um, like when your legs are screaming for a race, like you know that the rest of the people in your crew or the people you're racing next to are like are putting it all on the line and you're you're honestly pretty much willing to like put yourself in the most massive hole, like for the people you're you're with.
1: Yeah, that's great because from my experience as well, I remember like rowing, and then you're in the middle of the race, and there's sort of that decision you have to make, yeah, that, like, <laughs> that commitment where you're like, it's another four minutes of this. I don't know if I yeah, can go. Yeah. But I guess yeah, I think those relationships they 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 are everything, isn't it? Because like, if you're not willing to work put yourself through that pain for someone like Mm. and it comes down to trust doesn't it because at the end of the day the boat is going to be in the exact same position like and you don't know how like how much effort someone's put in they could have Mm. had a bit of a off day and sort of chickened out from putting themselves through that pain but then it comes down to trust you're trusting everyone else to put themselves in that hole digging themselves that hole so that the boat can be as fast as possible.
2: Yeah, and especially like when you're in that position, like seeing someone, like if someone's complaining about how tired they are or if someone's moaning and groaning about the race, like that kind of makes you feel pretty unsettled and it, it makes you lose a lot of faith in like the ability that your crew has. So I think as well, like if rowing's taught me nothing else, it's like it's made me really aware of like the way I conduct myself and when it is and isn't appropriate to like. To be really honest about how I'm feeling, because I mean, if you have a race coming up, like who's it gonna help to be like complaining about how your how sore your legs are? Like, it's almost as if you you really need to sort of be the person that you want to be that you want to see in your crew. Like, who who do you want to be rowing with? Like, what sort of person do you want to be? And you you need to think about how your actions and sort of how your body language is like is sort of gonna be taken yeah. by everyone else. It's,
1: there's a famous saying. Be the change you want to see in the oh, world. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So I think that's that applies to anything, isn't it? Like mm. if you want to a standard for your other people to uphold, I guess you've got to do it yourself. Yeah, and, definitely. And I've definitely been in that situation before, where like not just with rowing, but like you, you complain about things, and then you start to become aware of that, and you're like, "This is not. I don't want to be that mm. sort of person." Like, and how you frame things as well it influences how you feel as well.
2: Yeah, and I think a massive thing that like that helps me a lot is. I like okay obviously like within reason but um I kind of like to think of everything as a choice like I'm I'm choosing to do the sport I'm really privileged to have access to the facilities and the services that I do and it's like everyone talks about sacrifices in rowing but it's and it is a lot of sacrifices but but it's also a, a massive opportunity like what we get to do um to be an athlete to be able to throw our lives into this the traveling opportunities like the friendships we get to make the lessons we're learning um, it's pretty incredible and I think definitely reminding myself of that when I'm getting into a pretty bad headspace helps so much. Like make the choice to be happy about it or like frame it positively and kind of just look at how it's helping you rather than like what you're missing out on.
1: Yeah. So do you ever like use sort of, I guess, gratefulness to sort of, you know, appreciate where you are and what you're doing, I guess, rather than like what you don't and yeah. aren't doing?
2: I'd say – um yeah definitely and especially in the last few years like I'm sure we'll get into this later in the podcast but I had a pretty tough time um on the senior team and like I learned a lot amazing experience but I was pretty like mentally and physically unprepared for like my senior team experience and like first time internationally racing and so I think like that's taught me a lot about myself and especially like having injuries like since then and I guess dealing with that experience like sort of looking at the positive side like what am I learning from this like I broke my ribs a little while ago, like literally two complete fractures through my second and eighth rib, which God knows how that happened. Um, obviously rowing, well, there were stress fractures, but like my bone density was like really high and calcium saturated. So it was probably something really strange technically that I was doing that was just like loading my ribs the wrong way.
1: Oh, it's like smashing like the finish.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I think it wasn't like from smashing, it was like stress fractures. So it kind of like happened over a long period of time. But, um, I think it's just like swapping from sweeping to sculling quite abruptly and just doing all my training in a skull rather than a sleep sweep. Like my body just wasn't used to being loaded in that way. We don't really know, um, but anyway, I guess, like, I can look at that in a positive light and, like, it gave me, and especially also, I also got Ross River virus at the beginning of this year and had to take, like, four months off. So, anyway, those two things, like, obviously, it, I could have had a choice to, like, get really down about it and, like, be in the dumps and complain all the time. And don't get me wrong, like, I had some weeks where I was seriously low. Like, it's it's pretty difficult, like, seeing everyone rowing and, and, and ex- excelling and getting better and doing what you want to be doing and you're just, like, stuck on the bike (laughs) which is quite grim um but no it gave me an opportunity to like catch up with friends a lot more i got into road cycling and got to make i just made some incredible things uh friends um i got to start some new projects a lot more relationships got to sort of um focus more on my uni um and i guess it really made me think about like what i wanted to get out of the sport and and sort of like how much i do like it and what i what i what it brings to my life, yeah. yeah.
1: We'll we'll definitely talk about those experiences. I'm, a, I think I'm gonna become the quote guy. I keep coming, yeah. <laughs> I, I keep having these quotes come to my head. I think yeah. it's because I'm reading a few books about it. But i put, put in my last article I wrote. It's like I think it's relevant to what you just said. Mm. Like with setbacks, and, and I guess like when you think you're in a dark place and you think you've been buried, you've actually been planted. Mm, yeah. So I think like you said, like sometimes when you have a setback. And then something positive, some other opportunity comes with it. Like you said, the road cycling came from that. Yeah. And then you realize, okay, this actually can help me train as well. So Yeah, definitely. So let's get into some of these experiences because I'd love to talk about them. Um, the first one was in 2019. First time traveling out of wa yeah. to compete
2: so this is my first time pretty much ever traveling out of wa i hadn't really been anywhere um in my younger life as well so it was a pretty incredible experience very exciting um me in year 11 um a whole six months into rowing um our school took us to nationals and i don't know if any of the rowers listening out here there's probably a few in your year i don't know but um there was basically this meme going around about um about a school crew that um sort of like ruined the whole regatta with gastro or like <laughs> basically we were going to compete and something in the food that we ate I don't know what happened but basically our entire squad got taken down by gastro and we didn't get to do a single race in the whole <laughs> regatta and we'd like paid all this money to come over to nationals, was like trained so hard for it so it was quite hilarious um but I think another good thing coming out of that was like I it was really funny like in hindsight, like getting to like talk about that as an experience and but it was also really positive because for when I did get to get more serious about rowing like that's before I'd been in waste or anything um it gave me sort of an idea of what nationals was about I got to see Cirque and so I guess when it I did come back the next time Uh, oh Cirque is Sydney International Rowing Centre so like it's just the regatta centre probably Australia's best and most fair regatta centre that's where nationals usually is Um, so it was really cool because like I'd experienced it all before so when I did come back to compete more seriously and when there was more at stake like I didn't have those initial nerves of like oh my god what's the sort of environment going to be like Um, what am I going to be feeling because I was familiar with it yeah so it was really good from that from that aspect but I mean it would have been would have been good to get a race but yeah
1: so that was year 11 that was year 11 and you were rowing in like the first eight. Yeah, that was that was
2: the first eight. Pretty remarkably, I made it in, yeah, for St Hilda's. Um,
1: and then what about the next year? That was got cancelled, you said?
2: Oh, yeah. So, basically, uh, yeah, 2019, first eight for St Hilda's. So, that was, like, nationals around March. Then, sort of in June, July, like, I didn't do pathways that year or anything, but, like, in June, July, when there was, like, this post-pathways camp, um, Jamie, like, my coach from WACE, he'd, like, scouted three of the girls, Jackie, Zoe, and Becky, and... Um, out from there in the year above me um and he'd scouted them out because they were really good at rowing they had really good ergs and he wanted to make a junior four, but he needed an extra person and there was kind of no one that was close to them in their year group so he looked the year below to my year group just at the erg schools because it's probably the best indicator of how good like a junior is going to be just because no one's really had much rowing experience um, and then I had a really good erg. So mine was probably, I think, it was, like, the best of the group. But my rowing was absolutely terrible. And Jamie didn't know that because he had no idea who I was. So he'd basically just contacted the school coach and been like, hey, like, can you please get Jen to come to this rowing camp? Um, so we had a pathways camp. And that's kind of just, like, where it started at reckon, the end of...
1: Do you reckon he would have picked you if he saw a video of you rowing?
2: Oh... Uh, <laughs> maybe i don't know maybe i wasn't that terrible at that point but like still making it
1: sound pretty bad i've seen i
2: was just catching crabs everywhere i've seen
1: some bad rowing my time don't worry
2: yeah maybe it wasn't that bad i just remember in year 10 like i was in the d quad because i literally couldn't row and then like the one race i didn't catch a crab like we beat the a quad but like i couldn't get out of this crew because i couldn't stop catching crabs it was so funny but anyway maybe i was a bit better by year 11 um I had some serious work to do technical, technically, but, um, yeah, so it, kind of from that camp we got selected and started training at waist and gymming at waste um, But the funny thing about that four is I'm pretty sure anyone in it would agree. Like, every time we trained it, it just got worse and worse. Like, we'd just be hating the four, like, getting frustrated with each other. Like, there'd be all this tension in the boat, and so we ended up all actually doing better in our, like, smaller boats. So I started sculling, and I randomly got, like, really good at sculling. I think I just, like have pretty good boat feel. Um it can be like
1: balance was alright.
2: Um yeah, my balance was surprisingly all right. I was pretty light as well, so I was kind of just like doing whatever I was like in the recovery. Scaling, eh? Yeah. I've done was, it a few times. It so was th- so peaceful. And I just like loved the fact that um and I still do, like any change that happens or like everything is down to you. So I mean if you're going fast, it's because of you. If you're not going fast, it's because of you. Like you know exactly how hard you're pushing and you're the only one who has to, you have to rely on. And so that can be really tricky in hard training sessions when you're all alone, but...
1: That's, yeah, that's, Johnson told me when they did a session, it was like, they were doing these 1,500 metre pieces. Oh my God, yeah. Do you guys do the same thing? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and they were right like in the skulls next to each other. That would be yeah, unbelievable. It's yeah. pretty
2: epic. So like, the it depends what mood you're in. So like 1,500s, every Tuesday morning, there's 1,500s. So you'll have like between... Like if you're younger or like it's a lightweight, you might have eight up to like 12, 1,500 repeats, and they have all have race starts, and then it's just like as hard as you can push, like capture rate pieces. And so in a skull, like it's really it's really cool when you're like exactly in line with everyone else, and if you want to make a move, like you can you know exactly how you can make that change. Like, it's all yeah. up to you. But then again, like, when you're having a bad day, or it would oh. it would be so good to have someone else in the boat to push for because, like, when it's just down to you, it can be really yeah. hard to find that motivation time and time and time again. So it can be pretty good to do a crew boat sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, I ended up sculling um, in that, like, first year. All the other girls chuck- got chucked into pairs. And um, I was actually getting, like, pretty quick in this goal. So we were pretty much supposed to go, like – would have made the like under 19 Australian team. Um, but basically nationals and trials got cancelled that year, like three days before we left, which was super annoying. And then they were kind of still going to do trials, but then they didn't. Um, but anyway, we were going to, we would have gone to compete in Lake Bled in Slovenia, which is so cool. Was, we were really devastated when that didn't happen. But anyway, i um, kind of kept training through COVID um, with an erg in my garage. That was a real highlight um <laughs> no I was still doing online school at that point as it well It sums so up
1: rowing though doesn't it
2: pretty much yeah <laughs> so it was that really tested my intrinsic motivation but I think that's the point as well that I that I noticed like how much I love the sport because it kind of wasn't even a question in my mind whether or not I was going to keep training like yeah. it was just like oh okay well I'll just train from home like it kind of sucked because I had to erg for like three months but whatever got into running a bit that was kind of fun um yeah and then I started rowing in a pair with Liv Jones at the end of that year so she's that girl that I was talking about earlier that I was absolutely frothing over like she was a rowing queen like she is a stunning human (laughs) she'd made the under 23 team as a 19 year old the year before and we were all like frothing over her and again this is like the situation WA where like
1: sorry to interrupt but I guess I only know like a male experience but in like the Mm. female world of that sort (coughs) of I guess you can only speak about the rowing experience but how, how do like the female rowers like get around and support each other because i reckon sometimes like because with males is the egos but i'm not sure about the women's side of it
2: um i think like i guess it depends who it is like obviously some people like have a bit of an e it's not necessarily like yeah some people have a pretty big ego but i guess like the whole like culture of rowing like sorts that out for you like if you're strutting around with a massive ego like acting like you're better than everyone else like not a lot of people are going to gravitate towards you. Like I think one of the pretty like attractive qualities in in rowers is like how humble and hardworking you are. Like your results speak for yourself kind of thing. Um, And so, yeah, it's not like Liv had a massive ego or anything. She just like – she was just incredible. So like she just was so chill. She'd just like do the work and, yeah. So anyway, we were all just like frothing over her. I think it would be similar to the way like I've heard a lot of – from my brother who's like – I think he's like three years younger than you, two years younger than me – um he'd just talk about the way like all the boys would like bow down to and worship johnson like or hamish or um it's it's hamish
1: a, Hamish, yeah <laughs> when i was there but me yeah. and johnson were good mates so i guess it wasn't like yeah I, I did
2: you probably don't have that experience but for the younger kids like nah, I'm when i was this, younger yeah. and
1: then like when i was probably when i started rowing then there's like the year 12 rowers like yeah you, you think these guys are like yeah like kings like honestly
2: they they're they're godly humans they're just (laughs) and then one day
1: you end up doing it and you're like literally okay
2: and it was like the most surreal experience like having looked up to this like to this person that i was like oh my god like i was obsessed with her and then all of a sudden like i've worked hard enough over the year like in the skull and i've like again like with my training i was so serious with it like I would never skip an exercise in gym, like, at the gym program. Like, I would do every single rep to the best of my ability to failure. Like, I would be pushing myself every single session. Like, I would not go short on Ks. Like, um, not to the point where I'd, like, get injured or – I mean, like, yeah, I was probably a bit, like, obsessive with rowing, but this is, again, like, it's my – probably my greatest quality but also my fatal, fatal flaw sometimes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'd push myself really hard and i get put in a pair with Liv and I was like, oh, my God, like, incredible – And so we ended up going pretty fast like and that was like one of those boats that like sometimes you'll just get in a boat with someone and it will be terrible like you'll be flopping all over the place like your balance is terrible like you can't row together catching crabs that was not like this pair I've never experienced any combination like this but it was pretty much just like it set up so well and it was just like so fun and enjoyable to row and as well like our dynamics in terms of personality like she is you probably can't get as different in personality as like Liv and I um like we've got completely different interests like I'm like quite like really driven like quite uptight like I overthink things like she's pretty much the opposite but like it just worked for some reason like it was really cool um so yeah then we pretty much went to nationals together um with some pretty unfavorable weather considering us like I think our average weight for our crew was like 20 kilos less than the other two pairs um and it was a raging headwind um so we kind of struggled in that um but we ended up coming third made under 23 trials and then made the under 23 fall for that year but it didn't travel and we just like did this random like kind of competition in south australia um against the olympic boats which again was like a pretty cool way to like experience have an under 23 and like australian team campaign experience like Without maybe as much as at stake as if it was going to be um, overseas or a, a real campaign, um, and yeah, then that was pretty much the end of that season. Um, what I, so that was twenty twenty one. Yeah, that was twenty twenty one.
1: then, yeah, twenty twenty two. You had the two two teams. Yes.
2: Um. So then twenty twenty two. Um. Again, like I went back to sculling, but like there's always this problem in WA of like there will be. Because like we don't have that many athletes, like it's hard to always have a lot of people at the same level at the same time. So um, if you have someone that's good at sweeping and then they'll obviously need sweeping as like one oar for those people who aren't familiar with rowing. Um, you obviously can't row a boat with one oar by yourself because you're going circles. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm usually sculling, which is two oars just by myself um but then because I can sweep like if there's ever a sweeper that needs a pair partner that's kind of like what I'd get asked to do so that's what happened with Liv that year um she was sweeping and then they had to look like three years below her and be like Jen can you go on a pair with Liv and I was like yes of course (laughs) um yeah so then I was scrolling again and then Jackie was the next person um who was really good at sweeping she was getting super strong and she's one of the ones that I was like originally selected in in the um when I like out of school pretty much in that fall that got worse every session Anyway, Jackie was killing the game in her sweeping. So I was like, yeah, of course, I'm going to pair with you. But the problem was, I was on the same side as Jackie. So I what had. What side were you on? Bowside. Yeah. We were both Bowside bow legends. Bowside legends, yeah. Yep. And so I had to swap sides. And let me tell you, that was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Um, it usually takes people like three or four weeks to swap sides. I swear it took me three or four months. Like, We would end the session in tears like I would be so sore like we were crashing into posts because like we weren't looking where we were going properly like we were catching crabs like almost capsizing the boat like I felt so bad because I just felt like I was literally like impeding her like rowing ability every (laughs) single session. Um, and then, oh, my God, one time we literally like rode straight into the start pontoon at Champion Lakes. Like, don't ask me how we did that because it doesn't move. Oh, like, that, the yeah, start, right at the 2K? We rode full speed into it and snapped off our barbell and broke our footplate. Uh, so that was real How you highlight. get back? Um, you didn't well, my oar wasn't broken, so I basically had to, like, paddle us back. And then they were wondering why we weren't starting the race. And then our coach kind of just, like, didn't talk to us for a while. He was just like... <laughs> letting off some steam um (laughs) but yeah um so we actually remarkably ended up making that boat work like I thought I was gonna have to like just scull so many times but we pushed through it made it work and then got invited to senior trials um and this was like when WA was still kind of like under a rock in the COVID lockdown thing so like we had really strict border um rules and then this was when they were like, oh yeah, we're going to open the borders like on February 15th. And so we were like, cool, we're going over for a competition on like February 11th, we'll leave on the 26th of Jan, and then by the time we come back, the borders will be open. So then two days before we were supposed to leave, Mark McGowan was like, sorry, jokes, we're not opening the borders. And then we were like, what are we supposed to do? So... Basically, the head of the National Training Centre kind of, like, really wanted us over there and, like, he was kind of, like, knew that we'd prospectively maybe have a chance at making this in your team. So, he was like, you can come and train at this in your team, stay at the NTC, do your competitions and stay over here until you can, like, safely return back to WA without having to quarantine because the issue with quarantining is just you can't get enough training done and we'd lose so much fitness, like, at the point of our season where we needed yeah. to be doing consistent training. Um And so, basically, um, within two days, a three-week trip trip turned into an at least three-month trip, which was pretty scary because we were just going to do the senior team thing kind of for experience. Like, it's good to go to trials to know what it's about, but we weren't expecting to get there at all. Um, So, anyway, went over. um, Actually kind of ended up killing the game at senior trials somehow. Um, It was terrible weather, so I think that's got something to do with it. Like, in Perth, especially in Perth summers, like, the water is terrible. Like, there's white caps everywhere. Like, you just have to row in the most toughest conditions and so it actually the trialing got turned into time trial format and so Jackie and I actually did really well because we were like okay it's just like perth rowing and we just randomly did a really good time and beat a lot of the senior pairs um and then went to trials and got on the team so then we ended up having to move to Penrith um which we'd already been staying there but like moved to Sydney trained there for five months um and you're kind of like training full time as well so, so like
1: we Studying then at all? Yeah.
2: Um. So essentially, no, like I was, but then um, like it was in like the second week of uni, maybe, and I was like, okay, like the thing about the NTC is like you are a full time athlete when you're there, so like your first session will be at okay, so you get paid for being there as well, not enough to save, but like they're paying yeah. for you, so yeah. you, you're not out of pocket. Yeah. Um. So like your first session will be at like there's a morning meeting at seven a.m. You get on the water at seven thirty, sharp. Otherwise, there's there's trouble. Um, and then you're rowing like 7.30 till what, what, like 9.30 or 10. Get off the water, have breakfast. There's about an hour and a half gap. Then you either have like a row or a gym session in the middle of the day from like like 12, 12 until like 1 or 2. Then you have a break and then your third session will be like from 4 till 6 or something like that. Um, which is was again, like full gym. Time? yeah, like pretty much full time. So like you really are only having like one and a half, two hour gaps in between each training session. And that's six days a week.
1: That was, we did that for a rowing camp and yeah. that was death and that was for like yeah, three or four days. It's so <laughs> hard. I <laughs> Can't um, imagine that. So all like, time.
2: as well, like coming into it being like at the bottom of the pecking order, like if you are studying or working in your few hours off, um, that is really going to inhibit your recovery so like while everyone else is recovering like you are stressing yourself out like because yeah. mental You're load being switched on all the time yeah aren't you? and mental load turns into physical load as well so I okay, thought yeah. like basically everyone was saying like just do one unit or no units so I think I just did one unit that semester and then the next semester I didn't study at all just because like I didn't have the capacity to like I was oh, exhausted from the training <laughs> at a bottom level so yeah <laughs> um oh yeah what was I even up to um yeah so that was kind of our life for like five months over there which was epic like so you're a professional athlete basically but it was it was really tough um because I think I was saying to you earlier like I a, a lot of the reason like I rely on a lot of things outside of rowing like to kind of to balance myself I suppose um and to kind of like get out of my head so I have a lot of uni friends um I love running I love going for walks Um, I love being by myself sometimes, um, I have heaps of outside of school friends, love going to see my grandparents, like spending time with my family. Um, so, and I also love working as well. Like I just, it just like having lots of outside of rowing communities is like kind of what gets me through. And so I think one of the reasons I struggled so much, um, obviously quite being physically quite underdeveloped compared to the rest of the team as a 19 year old when most people are like 25 to 30, um, was, like, the mental side of it. Like, I didn't feel like I had an outlet. So everything I knew and everyone around me, like, was rowing. I didn't have a car, so I couldn't get out of, like, Penrith. Um, and it's also, like, kind of not the area you'd want to be, like, waltzing around in by yourself as well. It's kind of like a the, the equivalent suburb of, like, Champion Lakes. Um, <laughs> but, like, probably, like, 50 minutes to an hour and a half, like, away from the city, depending on traffic. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I really struggled with that even though it was a, an amazing experience and I learned so much um, and obviously my rowing improved heaps. Then we went to Europe for two months, which was pretty epic. Um, I was like still – I was like at the bottom of the group basically. Like I was really, really, really privileged and incredibly happy just to be there. So, um, I was basically – you could consider it as the reserve. So, like there's a pair – so, like it goes like – there's like an order of boats and I was in the bottom pair basically – um but then there were quite a few injuries in the eight so I'd get to train in the eight like amazing experience as well um but basically anytime I competed like I just felt really like I felt like what was being asked of me like I just didn't feel like I had the capacity to deliver so I really struggled with that um a lot and again like reflecting on this now it's easy to say but like I kind of didn't know what I was feeling there and I was just like pretty stressed and uncomfortable a lot of the time um but again like I'm not trying to like trash bag this experience like it was insane like learnt so much um did so well but yeah um so we got to stay in the european training center which is like the ais or the australian institute of sport but like in europe so that's in Varese in italy it's like on the river it's so beautiful um amazing so we stayed there like that's like our base and then you fly out for each competition to a different place in europe so competed in the pair in poland that was my first international racing experience as senior level um i can't remember what we came maybe 11th or something in the pair and then we came back to Varese. Then we went to Henley, which was so cool. Um, that was in the UK. And we rode a four in Henley. That was one of my favourite races, actually. It was a really, really competitive race. And unfortunately, we did crash into the boom. Um, <laughs> so Henley doesn't have boys; It has like wooden booms. So there's literally wooden logs oh in the water. And it's match racing. So there's only two people racing against each other separated by wooden logs (laughs) so yeah we ended up accidentally like hitting a wooden log right at the end and losing the race in the last 30 meters which was super disappointing but again like I was so like it was really disappointing to lose don't get me wrong but like the the experience of that race like I took so much away from it just like the way we all pushed together and made a change like we kind of had come back from behind which was really cool um and then the risk with going to Henley was that there were so many people in such a small area um covid so then we went straight to switzerland but basically i tested positive for covid like two days later um and that was quite annoying because that meant i had to miss competing at world cup three um in switzerland and then basically because the rest of the senior team was going home straight away um and then like Jackie, me and two other girls had to stay for under 23 world champs. So basically I had to start training after COVID like two days after I tested positive. So I was still positive. And then I was doing like 45 minute bikes, like 45 minute run, like let's do three by 10 minute ergs. And I just (laughs) kept getting worse and worse. And I was just like, I was testing positive for like 12 days or something. So they not
1: let you recover.
2: Well, they couldn't because our heat was in two weeks for under 23 world champs. Yeah. So, yeah, there was, a, there was a plan B, which meant splitting our four into just one pair and then one girl wouldn't get to race and obviously I wouldn't get to race because I was sick. But, yeah, ended up pulling it together. Um, that was, like, really tough, like, because I just felt like I was going to let the whole crew down. Like, I I just felt like I didn't have the capacity to even finish the race. Like, it was so bad, like, the viral fatigue. Um, mm. But, yeah, I mean, it, it ended up working in our favour. It was stressful, but we actually somehow ended up pulling off a third medal in the floor, which oh, was sick. really cool. So, got got a nice shiny bronze medal at home now. Um, but, yeah.
1: So, that's your Europe experience. That's that's sick. Yeah. See, that's, like, some of your Europe experience so far. I'd love to talk a bit of, like, the mental side and then we can always, like, refer yeah, back yeah, yeah, to yeah. some of the, um, you know, some of the experiences you talked mm-hmm. about now because I think for a lot of people out there, especially me, like, I get people on the show but I feel like sometimes I don't ask enough of the, the stuff that I really want to know. Yeah. So... I guess let's start with what's your sort of like self-talk strategies during like I guess the harder times or actually I'll say when you're sort of nervous for races, how Mm. do you sort of like talk to yourself to get in the right headspace?
2: Um, Okay, this is a hot topic. I I definitely need to get better at this. Sometimes I fall into a trap of if I feel – if I'm like pretty nervous about something or like I feel like I don't have the capacity to deliver, sometimes – I can get stuck in this process of like convincing myself that it's not important or giving myself reasons why it doesn't have to work sort of. So, so it makes it seem less important and it's kind of like an escape mechanism. So mm. I think the self talk. when I realize I need to realize that happening obviously, but that's sort of like what I'm trying to avoid. I guess like how I'd approach it is like, I sort of have to, I just go into everything like with all like sort of just with all that I've got, like coming into a race, it's like, no matter what state of fatigue I'm in, like I'm trying not to think about how fatigued I'm in, but like you can do some pretty incredible things while you're fatigued. So I guess just like sticking to the plan, picking two or three things that I'm going to work on and going to do well so that no matter what happens, like I finished the race and I I can say that no matter what happened, like I gave my all and I did what I could with what I had.
1: The first bit you mentioned there interests me, like sometimes you sort of put something down so that it sort of gives you sort of comfort. Yeah. Because I've done that. So many times, I wonder yeah. how many people do that because, like, we sort of like we really care about saying, like, mm. let's say for me, footy right now. But then, like, we sort of put it down in our head and we say, "Oh, who cares? It's not that important." Yeah, just to like, just so that if we d- things don't go to plan, then we won't feel mm. as bad.
2: Or well, like, yeah, I going into like a race or an argue, like, oh my god, like I've done a twenty two hour training week, like my legs are super sore, like I because I PB'd on squats or did this, that, and the other, or like I was sick three weeks ago and probably still recovering. Or, like, that's not what I'm focusing on right now. Like, it's it's kind of like anything. And I've got it. I've been a lot better at it, but that's definitely something I used to struggle with a lot. Like, I'd just... I'd try and, like, diminish how important it was um, as an escape mechanism so that it almost didn't matter as much and so I wasn't as stressed about it. But I think it's pretty important to be able to... It, I guess it was almost escaping anxiety. Like, it's, it's good to be able to sit with it and, and kind of just, like, recognise those feelings. But to a certain extent, like, that's actually... It just means that you care and it's it's yeah. good to be able to be vulnerable and put yourself out there.
1: Yeah. So you said, you know, you have to sit with those those thoughts. I guess that's sort of mindfulness. Do you, in the waste sort of program, obviously they give you physical training, they mm. smash you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but do they sort of do any mental training, like mindfulness and the headspace sort of stuff?
2: Yeah. So I think um, mindfulness, again, like I don't, a, there's a lot of talk of like meditation and this that and the other like <laughs> I'm one of those people that hate meditation like if I'm listening to a guided meditation I get seriously disturbed by a voice talking at me because yeah. I'm like relaxing in my zen and then somebody just starts talking at me uh, and that, I yeah, it honestly yeah. disturbs me um so I think yeah so waste um if you're a scholarship holder you get access to um To basically like free psychology services um among a lot of other things but it's definitely um the responsibility of the athlete and up to you like if you really want this um it's sort of like it's something that often gets neglected like the mental side of it um and it can be often really difficult to confront as well because um it's something that you can't see and it's something that's not talked about as much but definitely going to the psych like pretty regularly has really really helped me um and then again like in terms of, like, the mindfulness and managing yourself, like, it's really good to work with this like Even if there's nothing pressing wrong, like, at that moment, there's always things you can be working on and processes you can be, like, refining. Um, So, for me, like, I might have been, like... It, it would have been, like, how do I stop using that escapism? Like, what's a, what's a better way to get myself in, like, a stronger mindset? Like, how can I approach races yeah. better sort of thing? And in terms of, like, the mindfulness thing, I think there's definitely... Mindfulness is sort of like pairs of jeans. Like you've got to you've got to try on your different mindfulness techniques. Meditation is definitely not for me, but I like going for walks. I like listening to podcasts. Just get for me, definitely it's like ways to just completely get out of the rowing the rowing atmosphere is is something that's really important.
1: Yeah. I think people get confused with meditation and mindfulness and they think meditation's mindfulness, but I've listened to a lot of um stuff about mindfulness recently a few podcasts and I think for me I see it as like your ability to stay in the moment
2: Mm, definitely
1: and like I feel like this has happened to me a lot in sport because you're in so much pain you just want to escape that in your head yeah and you want to be somewhere else and Mm. you start thinking about other things but I guess if you can learn to like own that pain it becomes like a strength doesn't it yeah
2: and also recognizing like that the pain is temporary and it's it's what you're choosing to do as well but yeah definitely learning to sit in it like escapism, escapism is a massive sort of uh it, it can be pretty detrimental um to your performance yeah and yeah mindfulness I completely agree with what you're saying as well like it's it's like realizing what you're doing like sitting in the moment like not getting too carried away or focused on the past or focused on the future and it's it's sort of just yeah I guess just sitting with it is what I like to think about it as well.
1: So, you said you're seeing the psychologist provided by Ways. Yeah. Um. I guess how's that? I guess, uh, actually the first thing you said was that like you don't have to just go there to fix a problem. I think that's a huge misconception oh my God, yeah. in the in the world of mental health. It's always um, treatment, not preventative. Yeah. And I yeah. think I think prevention is the best cure. So true yeah and like being able to just fix and like because a, a lot of people don't realize how close they are to breaking down mm-hmm. and then they and then they just break and they there's yep. all this underlying stuff that they didn't realize and then I think if people um you know talk to qualified people or talk to not even qualify like friends and family and if we can all like can learn to become more open I, I think the whole field that we're talking about will, will be a lot better
2: 100% and it's sort of like uh like you could kind of think about it as like even like stretching i mean like stretching <laughs> <We reckon laughs> is great to prevent injury like why would you not stretch and it's like the psychologist like you're you're basically just giving yourself more tools to be yeah. to be resilient and get through things like and a lot of people are like oh i go to a psychologist with no problems and i come out with like problems i didn't even know i had but it's like it's maybe it, it's good to it's good to address things and it can be it it can be difficult to like have to think about things that you don't want to or or confront difficult situations or difficult habits to break. Um, especially when you don't think they're affecting you right now. But I mean all it's gonna do is kind of like help you in the future. So definitely I think that's that's pretty good. And another thing I'll mention about psychologists is they're also like a pair of jeans. So if you don't click with a psychologist, it's not it's not necessarily a you problem and don't don't feel like you have to like you, you definitely have to try like different ones and if it doesn't feel like it clicks like don't give up on seeing a psychologist like yeah that, just that, go and find it, another one <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was in the book i'm reading at the moment about um you know the resilience project in Hugh Van yeah. mm-hmm. and he spoke about the, like his experiences um because he gives all these mental health talks yeah and then someone said like oh, like he says go see a psych, go see a psych," but then someone said oh do you see one he said no and it, and he felt really like guilty about that i guess because mm. he's giving all this advice and then he went and saw one and then the first couple he didn't really click with. Yeah. And then he found through a, f- uh, a friend, like, a really good one. Mm-hmm. And I guess he also spoke about in the book, which I think is relevant to the whole thing about mental health, is like you said, it's like stretching, I guess, because, like, it's something we don't practice enough. And yeah, if you want to be definitely. good at something, you have to practice it. Yeah. And I think with that whole um, empathy sort of field and our ability to – be open with other people it's it's sort of a weakness in our society Mm. and I think I think our greatest area for improvement will be our ability to practice all these skills that are sort of uh, overlooked I guess
2: yeah and I think as well like uh, so like I think the the topic of mental health and like seeing a psych is still probably a lot more taboo than it should be I think but what I'd like to sort of highlight is like especially in a high performance um, sort of environment like waste like everyone is seeing this like pretty much like 99% of people are seeing a like but no one talks about it and so I think like I make a pretty big deal of um just like in conversation like when I'm chatting to the younger kids or like especially like on a podcast it's like it, you need like it's not there's nothing to a taboo about it like you would stretch stigma. go yeah. see yeah it's it's stupid stigma but like it, it's like especially for younger kids as well and like Sometimes when you're young and you're you're still developing or going through puberty, going through a lot of changes in school, like that's like one of the times when you're most vulnerable and when that service could probably help you the most. But it's sort of the fact that it's not a norm yet is pretty like detrimental. I think oh,
1: in the the book I was reading, oh, I don't know why I keep referring to it, but it's it's great <laughs> Might stuff. be a good book. I'm read it. <laughs> no, it. No, it's so good. Yeah. Anyways, it to, it's it's I don't know this bloke. she's gone through a few experiences, but. This one was talking about this experience this bloke had with um he tried to kill himself but then they they prov- provided some statistics on it and it, geez it shocked me like obviously people mm. say seven a day but like it was like saying like two percent of deaths were something were were suicide and Holy crap to yeah. me that's huge because like it's preventable yeah and and it's just not just that it's tragic mm. and yeah I guess that sort of. You know, I read that and it really, like, shook me. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, if you, you do have anything else to add on to that, because i oh,
2: I guess I'll add... Oh, shit, I just did have something in there. Just <laughs> we, we can come back to it. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, obviously, you're a really driven person mm-hmm. and I've... I feel like that's sort of me with sport, but sometimes I become a bit too perfectionist. Mm. And I guess rowing can be that sort of perfectionist yeah. sport. So how's your relationship with perfectionism?
2: Um, yeah, I think a l- that's, that's a pretty, like, common quality among rowers, definitely. Because I think, like, diligence with training, again, is, like, something that, especially in the early stages, will get you far. Um, but then in terms of, like, when you're at quite a high level, like, I guess... It, the thing in rowing is like you're always striving for like the perfect stroke or the perfect race and it's kind of something that you can you're never quite going to get um and the other thing that I've definitely learned in the last like you always have this idea of like this is what my campaign's going to be like or if I can keep doing these programs or do this that and the other like it's going to be great and like nothing ever goes to plan like literally I went to the to Europe and I had like I I got COVID, like, I was really homesick, I was struggling so hard. Um, There was, like, sort of, like, crew dynamics issues, like, this, that and the other. I might have had a few injuries and niggles, like, you are never going to have a perfect season. Then I come back, I'm like, I'm going to train well and have a perfect season. I break two ribs and get Ross River virus. Like, it's just (laughs) (laughs) – I had to really learn to let go of the perfectionism and I think that's definitely something that's made me a lot happier um, recently, um, just – just um, sort of, like, learning to sit with it and, and know that, like, sometimes your best doesn't have to be, like, doing everything perfectly. And, it, yeah, getting set on that can be pretty harmful, I think.
1: 100% <coughs> agree. And guess what the na- – uh, the last time I mentioned guess <laughs> yeah. what the name of the book's called? You True. just said it. Let go. Perfect,
2: oh, let go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so good.
1: Yeah. Um, um. Anyways, yeah, I think you're right with all that sort of stuff because, like, it is so, it's so hard to get the balance right, I think, between like wanting to be better and then not obsessing because it's, yeah. it's so fickle, that line, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And I think as well, like this is pretty relevant for me. Like I get really, ton- I, I tunnel vision on things. So like when I broke my ribs, like the only way I could train was like the bike and I couldn't get a lot of like the normal numbers feedback. Like usually you're getting prognostics. You can compare against other people. You have your ERG scores. You can see what that is, but I, I literally had none of that. So like the thing I'd focus on was training hours, and that's like, and I'm trying to like reach this like number of training hours or like be perfect at that. Like that's one thing I can control and one thing I can do, but like, I think that's you you got to be careful of that. Like something I also need to do, like being able to change view pretty quickly, so you can still have your goal in sight. But like, being able to change focus is also like, I don't know. That's that's also something that I'd I'd yeah. put into the same like perfectionist yeah, thing. Yeah, because
1: when you're flexible. I guess I feel like perfectionism. You have this rigid mindset yeah. of like, especially when it's goal orientated perfectionism. Oh, 100%, yeah, and then like as you said with all your trip to Europe, there's so many unforeseeable variables that come up, and you've got to be yeah. able to adapt, improvise, adapt. Overcome. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and it's
2: just like it's just zooming out and keeping keeping the big goal in mind, like and and looking at the actions that you're doing, and like sometimes you'll be focusing on a small goal or a small thing, and you're like hang on, zoom out, like, is this really going to push me? Like, is this what I need to be focusing on to push me towards my my overall goal or is it just making me feel more comfortable right now? Like, and that was definitely, like, the bike thing. I was like, oh, I need to get this many hours. Yes, it's going to make me fitter right now, but is this really going to, like, push me towards my real goal when I could be doing, like, a much shorter, like, strength-based workout or something?
1: Yeah. So with your sport, what sort of time, obviously the seasons, is it all about um, – peaking at one moment of time because i guess you said you're never gonna have the perfect stroke etc but sometimes like when we rode Mm. it was like um you sort of just if you have flaws you sort of forget in the last couple of weeks because it's like yeah you just want to be ready for the race and not want to keep working on the same things that aren't getting better do you guys is it like how far ahead do you look what's like is there a main overarching is it like the olympics the world champs sort of thing yeah or
2: so um each year like the the season in WA is kind of weird it kind of never ends so you have a state season from like um when is it like June to September and then you have like kind of the national season from like you start doing time trials in October and that ends in March and then it's trials for Australian team and then you have the Australian or international season which is from like trials in March until June and then you're at the state season again so there's kind of, obviously, like, you can't peak for every season because when you peak and taper, like, you lose a lot of fitness and it, and it really sets you back kind of like a month or two. Um, So, definitely, like, you keep your big goal in sight. So, like, I guess, like, whatever your stretch goal is, like, for some people who are really on the edge and struggling to get into 23s, like, they might see their big goal as, like, the 23 trials and everything will be leading up towards then. So, a lot of times it's pretty tricky because you'll be going into a race like nationals and you're not tapered like you're, you're really tired and you still need to race well but like you're at a pretty compromised capacity so I think it is as well like we're always kind of like focusing on technical things but it's what changes I guess is like the the amount of volume you're doing and kind of like what you're focusing on so coming up to a regatta you'd probably want to focus a bit more on like executing I guess race tactics and like the, the few technical points that you're gonna focus on that are that you're capable of executing but that are actually going to make you go faster and so like I wouldn't be stressing about like getting those extra 3k's in a session if I'm really tired because is that going to help me row really fast in a week's time like no like yeah it's kind of putting in the work in the big base periods and then being able to again like change focus pretty quickly and like focus on the right things that are really going to help you leading into a regatta
1: yeah I, I think that's a really perfect not Using that word, we don't use that word here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really well balanced mindset to have, like, yeah. doing the right things at the right times. Yeah, so I guess just a couple more things. Mm. So with all your rowing experiences, um, how do you sort of like uh, have applied that to your? Uh, I don't know if you heard the episode of me talk about rowing and like how it's uh, sort of like you take values from rowing, yeah, and yeah. it's sort of um, what you do like what the actions you do, it sort of becomes part of your identity and your values. So I feel like when I did rowing, like I drew all these values from it and it's sort of – since then it's sort of become part of my identity. So I guess my question is like what sort of like – what have you been able to bring from rowing to Mm. your identity and then I guess other aspects of life?
2: Yeah, at 100% agree. Like a lot of of people who have – like – everyone who is in the rowing community like when you talk to anyone who is kind of like older who already has their like corporate career like people like that look for rowers like look for that on your resume because I think it's pretty widely accepted that like the qualities you have to do to excel in rowing and be good at rowing are really employable qualities like you have to be super hard working you have to be able to work as a team um, you have to be determined and goal-driven you have to make i know i said like don't think of it as sacrifices but ultimately like you are making sacrifices like for a greater good and like i guess like the type of person like it shows that you can knuckle down and do something and and put yourself in pain and that you're a hard worker and so i definitely say that like those aspects i'd take from rowing like to kind of every other area of my life um i guess from the rowing culture i'd i'd also say i've taken a lot um just from seeing the way that um the older athletes like from the NTC the like Olympians and kind of like world the athletes that have competed at world champions like they come back and they've they're living in the national training center they're professional athletes they're incredible at rowing and they'll come back to their home like environment to Perth to train with us like in the off season and like the care that they show to us um the way that they'll like stop to explain things they have friends and family to see but they'll put aside time to come and rowing crews with us to come have coffee with us they'll explain things really clearly like show us how to do things and it's kind of like that that I definitely take away and apply to a lot of areas of my life like wherever I can I'm trying to like share my knowledge and experiences because I definitely couldn't have got to where I am today without like Without those role models, without that incredible sort of like influence that other people have had on me. And so, like, I guess any opportunity where I have the capacity to share experiences or share messages or kind of like help people have a better experience than I did or not make maybe the same mistakes as I have, um, like, I'll definitely do that. So, yeah. And another thing that maybe Johnson also noticed this is probably the only other thing that springs, uh, springs to mind, but in our rowing environment, we have a culture of bringing other people up to be better so yeah, a, a lot of that, yeah. yeah a lot of sports have this like pretty toxic it's just
1: it's, just, it's not just sports it's just yeah especially prevalent in Australian everywhere. society yeah um, Syndrome. yeah, yeah
2: but like it's kind of like this thing where like if you're trying to be the best like you're like finding flaws in people or pushing people down and, and kind of almost like if you think of it of like stepping on people so that you can get higher but when you bring people up around you and encourage the people and push the people around you to be better in a supportive environment, like, you then have to be better than them to be the best, like, and it raises the standard of everyone. Because, like, if you're stepping on people, you're lowering the standard, so obviously you're going to be the best, but how good are you? And so if you bring everyone up around you, it's kind of like this incredible supportive, like, empowering environment where, like, you have to be better to be the best, it's, if that makes it's, sense.
1: I reckon it's, e- it's easier... I think that's why people do it. It's actually easy to put people down. 100 percent. Rather than yeah. raise the standard and say, "Oh, I have to actually work even harder yeah. to be the best." Yeah. And, and it's yeah, and especially in team environments, like yeah. it's just a no-brainer to yeah. be bring everyone up.
2: And just being like conscious of like, I guess even like like small remarks, like you want to be like if like if someone's in the gym and like never put them down for what weight they're doing and like.
1: Yeah. That. Yeah. Go and yeah. go. On. I, no, I, it's like. Go I, had, on. I had this thing. Um, Collingwood, I don't know if you know much about AFL. Oh, uh, a little. Anyways, <laughs> Collingwood have this amazing coach at the moment. Yeah. Um, I just love his, like, philosophies and how he teaches. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure this is where I got it from. But it was, like, they, they're so, like, um, their culture is amazing. And one of the things is that they're really, like, um they're all, like, joke around and stuff, but they never put someone down for yeah. something that they care about.
2: Yeah. 100%. So, like, if
1: they're doing something they really care about, like, if someone's, like, let's say someone's intercept marker, like, Takes inset marks. Um, they would never, or for people who listen to footy here, mm. Darcy Moore, there's this is bloke who takes lots of inset marks. Yeah. And then, actually, I think I got it wrong. I think it's Melbourne. It's Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> it's Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, anyways, it's Melbourne and it was Jake Lever. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm probably, I'm going to edit that out yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Melbourne do this with Jake Lever. Yeah. And, oh, this was on an episode with Max Scorn mm. I listened to and they never, so he, plays a lot by himself he plays as the loose man so he's not playing anyone yeah but his role is really important to the team so he intercepts the ball yeah but if if people start putting him in down and say oh what you do is easy because you're not even playing on anyone like how's that going to help him yeah like yeah it's an innocent joke and yeah he gets a few laughs Mm. but is that going to make him better and the team better and that and there's so many things like that they'll never put someone down for saying they care about and what's good for the team yeah so like yeah you or what? The, actually, the main thing is like for what they care about and what's important to them. Yeah. It's so like if you can, you could rip him for his shoes because he doesn't care about fashion. Yeah. But if someone's big into fashion and like, and then you start ripping them, like that's going to negatively affect them. Yeah. So I think, like you said, it's it's all about respecting the person as Definitely. an individual.
2: Yeah, and and also like how like it's not creating a good culture as well if you if you're if you're doing things performance related like no one who cares about the sport is ever going to do something that they think is detrimental to their performance like you're never gonna like I don't know no one intentionally goes out to ruin themselves if that makes sense yeah. like you can do things that you don't think through and I think it's okay to call people out for for maybe doing things that they're not thinking through but like again like really be careful about how you're doing that and when you're like especially we see this sort of like a lot in the weight room as well like you got to be careful like that you're always like bringing people up and kind of commending them for the effort that they're putting in and what they are doing rather than for maybe like how weak they might be which everyone again with me like i've never been particularly good at weights and everyone's really always like super supportive of like me and my individual progress as well um which is really cool like i found that really helpful but i i know that it's not the case for like all the other sports
1: yeah, 100%. You need that help, especially when it's – but at the end of the day, weights room isn't growing. So no, it's so not. I would, I wouldn't stress true. I wouldn't stress too much, <laughs> yeah. too much about it. Yeah. So we've covered heaps of really sick stuff there. Um, one thing I read about you um, – because there's actually a bit on the internet of you, well done. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but you went to speak – to these older people, I can't <laughs> remember the specific thing. Honestly, I can't remember it.
2: Jen Hart can't wipe the small, <laughs> smile off her face after <laughs> talking about talking to Cambridge Rotarians or something. Is that what it was? Anyways. <laughs> something
1: like that. Anyways, you spoke – I don't even know what you said. I can't remember. But you t- you spoke about how, like, you were speaking about rowing your experience, but you're quite young still. And you said you almost felt like a b- bit of an imposter. Yeah, speaking, yeah. Speaking, like
2: S- – Definitely. So, um – Again, like, kind of what I was saying earlier is, like, one of my values is, like, I I get a lot out of it. Like, it really fills my cup, like, human interaction and, and helping people and kind of giving back, being a leader, being a role model. Um, because I guess, again, like, there were just so many people that have helped me th- in my journey. Like, even in my short journey, just getting through school, my teachers, like, incredible teachers. And, like, they were so understanding of my situation and me and they did everything for me. And like when I started rowing, like the way Liv treated me, like she gave everything to me and I was just this like random school kid. Like I was still in school. I was three years younger than her. And like just she was so incredible, like incredibly kind and giving. And the NTC girls as well. Like they come back, they give up their spare time to get to know and like to make the culture better and interact with these people that are younger than them. So in one sense I absolutely love community engagement. Like I think it's it's so empowering and so incredible. But like when I know that I've only really had, like, two, three years of, like, sort of, like, national team level rowing experience, and, like, the people that I'm looking up to have had, like, 10 years, have done so much better than me, um, I kind of do feel like an imposter sometimes. I'm, like, I'm, can I really be saying this? Like, can I really be, like, I almost don't feel qualified to talk about it, because again, like, my, sure, like, on paper, like, what I've done for my age and what I'm doing looks really good, but the, th- the things that people don't see like the mental struggles that I had like what I was thinking like the injuries that I had like the hiccups, maybe like the arguments or conflicts like that's kind of like what sticks in my mind about it like sort of the tough times sometimes and then when I'm like preaching things, I'm just like, oh my god, like I do kind of feel like an imposter because I know that like I haven't done it I, I don't know there were bad parts about yeah. it and I haven't done it so well so, I don't know, I, I kind of feel conflicted, but I think it's, I think it's more net gain, I guess. Like, uh, it's more yeah. important to spread the message.
1: I get where you're coming from because, like, <clears throat> for example, with me, like, stuff I post, it's, like, I got a bit upset recently because, like, I start posting things about certain things. Yeah. And then it's, like, if you – then I start struggling with saying that I'm posting about. Yeah. And you're, like, can I really – tell people what to do yep. or like give advice and then struggle with the same thing
2: it's really hard to practice what you preach definitely. exactly yeah. but
1: I guess if you're being authentic and just you know ex- going through your experience then I guess like t- to me there's nothing fake about that at mm. all and like I get where the imposter syndrome sort of like might that how that can come into your head especially yeah especially in in the sports field when you feel like you haven't done much but I feel like I feel like that's just um, we sort of bring that to ourselves, and I think we've got mm. to coach ourselves out of that because I feel like you've done you. You'd actually be surprised how far you've come. I think like if you heard yourself speak five years ago, oh definitely, you'd be very proud of what you. If you if you're in that room listening to yourself speak, yeah, I'm sure you'd been very proud of what you said, yeah, and you wouldn't and you would and you would have looked up to that person, yeah, and you wouldn't have wanted that person to feel like a, fr- a fraud.
2: And or, there's definitely like a lot to say for like with I guess like we're doing a lot with like empowerment at waste at the moment like I think there's going to be a lot of things coming like it's really difficult for a lot of people to like come on podcast or like or like when I say preach but just like spread their message or like or what they're passionate about because I mean it does involve like being quite vulnerable at a, at times and like the general public a lot of the time don't understand what you're doing and, and don't don't get it but like I think one of the really powerful things about like sharing your message and, and talking and normalizing things and just sharing your story is like also like how empowering it is for you like you I'm, I'm kind of like talking about these things and like when when like training becomes the everyday like you do like four hours of training in a day at rowing like four or five hours and like that's just the normal and if you and, and if you did like two hours or like you got injured or you had to stop and you just oh my god like what why am I like this like but then in talking to everyone else about it and spreading your message, like, you'd be surprised. Like, you kind of just forget about the everyday. Like, and when your everyday is quite incredible, like, it becomes normal. And I think it's good to just take a step back sometimes. And that's what re- I find, like, community engagement really helps with. Like, just kind of realising, like, you are actually doing a lot of good and, like, your everyday is incredible. Like, yeah. and, it, and it doesn't just go for sport. It goes for everyone. Like,
1: yeah,
2: got to take a, take a minute to step back and realise the good things that you are doing, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's that's where I insert my Ferris Bueller quote. I don't know if you heard that one in that episode. <laughs> nope. Have you seen that The movie?
2: No, I don't think I have.
1: Oh, it's a classic. But he says, like near the start of the movie, he says, like if you don't stook, uh, stop and look around once in a while, you'll miss it. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around
0: once in a while, you could miss it.
2: Oh yeah, I've heard the quote, but I haven't yeah. seen the movie. Yeah.
1: So. I have a, um, my slogan is, I don't know if you call it a slogan, but motto, whatever. Mm-hmm, yep. It's called Embracing the Uncertainty. Yeah. So I haven't asked this to anyone before, so, mm-hmm. but I do want to ask this to everyone. I guess I want to say, it. I was going to do it at the start, then I was like, I'll do it at the end once we've opened up and talked about a few yeah, things. Yeah. But what does Embracing the Uncertainty look like for you?
2: Yeah, I think this is, it's definitely something that I need to get, better at as well um because being kind of like a perfectionist and someone that's pretty pretty highly driven and pretty obsessive when it gets to things that I care about um I think yeah it can be pretty pretty easy to like to to strive for control and I think like a lot of the things that I do and a lot of the ways that I act like it's it's trying to control like trying to get control like so I know what people are thinking or like I know that they're predictable or like I know what I'm doing and how things are going to and how things are going to react. And I guess as well, like just in learning in the last few years, like pretty much like everything's worked out, but everything's also gone wrong. Like so many things have gone wrong. And, but the fact that it did work out in the end and the fact that I'm able to kind of like look look back in hindsight and, and see what I've learned from it. Like, I guess I can see that like in, in sitting with the uncertainty and in just like, if you know what's important to you and you know, all that you can do to work towards your goal, like there's no point stressing about anything else, if that makes sense. Like just sort of like, again, like we said, let go and embracing the uncertainty in that respect. Like you've got to learn to kind of sit with it because whatever's going to happen, like there's going to be something good that comes out of it, whether it's like a physical performance or whether it's like a really good learning, I guess. I don't know if that was a bit of a skewed answer, but I guess that's that's kind of what comes to mind for me. Yeah,
1: but I think it's powerful because... A lot of the time, when we're um, we're searching for certainty, I think we love to numb it with with answers. But we, I, mm. I say the word numb, but like because the uncertainty brings upon these like these emotions of like anxiety, mm. fear. But we love to numb those feelings because we're yeah. not good at sitting with that. So we numb it with whether it's validation. Like you like you said, you're striving to know what someone says.
0: Mm. But
1: like I think it's an important skill to learn and like the ability to let go, that's all in that like uh mindfulness, um, sort of that sort of field of being able to like mm. let go oh, I can't say that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <but> like, no. <laughs> yeah. No, I think
2: it comes from as well, like uncertainty as well. Like it brings about a lot of good things. Like if you always know what you're doing and know where you're trying to get, like I think there's less there's more things to learn. Stepping into the unknown, oh, definitely.
1: And failure as well. Oh, 100%. Because the amount of podcasts I've listened to... Oh, yeah. Uh, the Imperfects, I said to you... I you yeah, hadn't to and, it. And that's my list now. Yeah. Anyways, there's so many... Ev- pretty much everyone who comes on, mm. like, has a different sort of... So they come on and talk about their imperfections, but mm. they're all, like, uh, s- sort of successful people from yeah. the outside. Um, but all of them, there's a similar message in all of them, and that's, like, they learn so much from their failures.
2: Oh, 100%.
1: And, yeah, I think that whole thing if we if we can sort of get in that mindset then it, i think we have to sort of teach ourselves to not be scared by realizing that this can actually be so much good yeah and cuz like i thought of this recently but when you when you succeed like when something goes right like whether i i kick and i, I kick the ball and it goes to someone well mm. Or I do something in a game or you do something in rowing. Yeah. Like a stroke that goes right. Yeah. Like that's good for the, the moment, but you're not actually learning anything there. Mm. And while we really want to perform, mm. sometimes there's – there's I, I can't see – actually thinking about it, I can't see anything wrong with failure because you're just improving. But the, what is the only problem though is like how it affects us mm. emotionally because yeah. like we think it, it makes us like – and
2: i think like in failing as well like a lot of the time when you do fail like it takes a lot of bravery to be able to 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 risk it and like to to do something that might not succeed and i think as well like the when you when you are talking about or when you just said like when you do a stroke or have a race that goes well say like i can think of an instance in where like that might be good but in embracing the uncertainty like a lot of the times like we will go into a race and there'll be like something that we need to try like and if you don't fully commit to trying something, say like it's um, like finishing like two centimetres further away from your body than you usually do. So like cutting the stroke off shorter and you're like, I don't know what effect this is going to have on my race, but like if I don't fully commit to trying it, it's re- it's a really brave thing to do because like you're stepping away from what you've known, you're stepping away from what might have previously brought you success. But if you don't fully commit to trying it, you're never going to know whether it really worked and maybe it brings you success. That's really cool because you're rewarded for your bravery maybe it brings you failure you've learned something from it but it's also really character building that you were able to like to make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out there and really give it a go um
1: do you think that like i feel like i'm not trying to criticize society here but (laughs) but i feel like we lack vulnerability 100 but then that i think that's so linked with the fact that we're stuck in our ways Mm. about so many things um not just with sport but like attitudes toward pe- things and people yeah definitely. like people who like
2: well, the psychology psychologist example like yeah that's being vulnerable like exactly prime example and I don't know we just can't seem to sh- it's getting better but it's it's really hard like you can't seem to shake this taboo of and I, sp- I think it's especially a problem amongst like males as well like the everyone's pretty afraid to talk about like to to be vulnerable and talk about mental health and and open up and i guess it's definitely for females as well but you hear it a lot um but yeah i think it's definitely with society being scared to be vulnerable like yeah it just definitely takes it
1: i feel like yeah it's definitely getting better and i all i can relate to cuz i feel like i'm not that not that we're not that old so it's not yeah. like cuz i'm i read like read or hear books read or hear books yeah (laughs) Yeah. listen to audiobooks yeah (laughs) no podcasts (laughs) Podcasts. but like if when I hear things or read things about people who are like 50 40 whatever a Mm. bit older and then they reflect on society 20 years ago like I don't Mm. have I don't think I can make that sort of like assessment in time as much but all I do remember from when I was younger is there wasn't there was starting to be a bit of talk about how it's important but what I do remember is there was a lack of – I didn't learn much to what to actively do mm, to help. Definitely. It was like, oh, yeah, like talk to your friends. Like yeah. people kill themselves. It's important. But not yeah. what can you do to bring others up? What can yeah. you do to bring yourself up? How? What can does we, it look like? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because everyone knew what it was. Yeah. And no that it way. was a problem. But yeah.
2: like there wasn't any resources on how to fix it.
1: Yeah. Or Yeah. Because that's – and it was like – oh, if you're going to do self-harm, here's a number. But it's like no one's going to call Yeah, I always num-
2: wondered about that as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Not that I have any experience it, so, like, kind of rich of me to speak. But, like, what is a number going to do in the moment? Like, are you really going to think, oh, I'm going to – maybe people do. I don't know. But
1: – I think they – I think it might be good. I think there's quite a few people who do. But I feel like most people are so afraid to be vulnerable and actually mm. call someone up that if people were better equipped with, like, simple skills – um, to, like, bring them, I don't know, just to, like, deal with it. Not, like, saying, like, like, oh, get over it, but, like, be able to like open up, talk to other people, I feel mm. like would be in a much better place. Especially starting in, like, the high school period where that whole, like, you went to an all girl school yeah. and I went to an all-boys school and it can be, like, um, it can be, re- I guess, any Suffocating? School. Yeah, it can, <laughs> <laughs> it can be like that. So I guess yeah. that's the most, imp- it's such a transformative period in our lives, I guess, mm. We had lots of p- being at like a and a, like elite school. Like you have like heaps of talks come in, but I just don't, I just don't think there was s- something that I walked out of like a lecture theatre and I thought, holy shit, this has changed exactly how I'm gonna yeah. act and treat other people. Mm. And I feel like I've, um, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but I watched Gem on Amazon Prime recently. It's like with Hugh Van Cullenberg, yeah. my <laughs> guy, my guy now, and it's, yeah. he's from the Imperfects podcast. But I watched that and like it was so powerful it like immediately changed my mind like, perspective and like mm. and I, I took so much from that but I feel like I've never had that sort of thing and he actually just delivered such a simple message in a powerful way mm. and I feel like it there's just not enough good stuff out there but mm. I feel like I feel like the the whole field's going so yeah, I feel like it'll get there eventually but yeah yeah so that's pretty much most of the stuff I've um I had listed to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I do have a question uh, here from my pop <laughs> and, and my mum. And I think you sort of answered a little bit about it, but I've got to include the pop on the show. Oh,
2: yes.
0: Stop for pop.
1: So here we go.
0: Outside of rowing organisations, what types of support do you receive to achieve your goals?
1: do you hear that? Outside
2: of rowing, organisa-
1: outside. Yeah, yeah, that didn't re- work too well. It worked all right last time, but um, out- <laughs> a little bit loud. Yeah, yeah, I know he did speak quite loud, but um, or oh, I think it might be this thing here. I'm still figuring it's it out. Okay. We I'm, can I'm in editing, yep. <laughs> he said, uh, outside of the rowing like organization, what sort of external support do you get to help with your goals? Like, right, whether it could be family, friends, or whatever.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, um, for me, I'm a big I'm, I'm quite heavily reliant on just um communities outside of rowing. Um so again because you're spent so like the rowing community is incredible. Absolutely love them. They're my best friends. They get it. Um and especially like ex rowers, like it, the most incredible network of people. Um but again like it can be quite suffocating when it kind of it can become like just suffocating and all consuming, I guess. And so for me, like definitely surrounding myself with friends and family a lot, I love to cook I love, like, going on runs. I love going hiking. Just things that completely take me out of the rowing context um, and kind of just sort of, like, recenter your view, I guess. Because, again, when you're doing everything for a reason and you have this, like, really imminent goal in sight and every training session is working towards this goal and for a future benefit of this rowing-related goal, like, it's really good to just step out of that sort of – that out of that environment and just – like have a friend from work who doesn't know anything about rowing and you don't have to talk about it with her. And we'll talk about like whatever drama is going on at work or like we'll talk about like where we want to travel or the future or anything. Like it's just really refreshing to be able to completely have a mental break from it. And I guess in that as well, like it's good to have people who don't understand rowing and don't sort of like aren't connected to that world in any way to be able to like talk freely about it if you need to. Yeah. Um, so That definitely helps me a lot. Yeah.
1: So, so Johnson talked about a few things that like ground him. Mm-hmm. Like he goes to his farm. Yeah. But I guess like you said, when you do running, and how do you, how do you run <laughs> and not think like this is gonna contribute to my rowing fitness? Oh, like, okay. Yeah. Because so like yeah, you, it's, it's like, kind of
2: the opposite. Sometimes I'm running, and I like I, I used to like go for runs all the time to like clear my head. And sometimes I'd be running the like, Shit. No, I can't go for a run because that's gonna be too much training, and or it'd time me out for my next session. Um, But, like, for me, I'm pretty lucky because, like, I can usually incorporate it into my training. So, like, we have to do a lot of cross-training because if you're only doing rowing for all your training, you get too loaded and you'll get injured. So I can do a bit of running, but for me, it's always been something really, like, enjoyable and something um, that's, like, helped my mental health. Like, just sort of, like, forwards moving motion outside. I don't like running on a treadmill as well. And usually I run with friends as well. Like, it's just... Something really cool, and it makes me feel—I guess like the runner's high. You could say yeah, it, it makes me get really, yeah. It just—it sort of just frees me, I guess. Um, but yeah, again, like that's why I have quite a lot of other coping mechanisms as well because it's not always a good idea to run with how much training I'm doing. Yeah, so it's kind of the opposite of that. I have to—I yeah. have to hold myself back. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like the runner's high is unbelievable, and it's a bit different to the the rowing one. I, I yeah. feel like, yeah, it must be linked to the fact that. 5,000 years ago, we were running away. Something like that, And it? maybe that's what <laughs> yeah. we're so relieved to be away from, um, away from danger, yeah. for the big lines yeah. that <laughs> makes us all happy. <laughs> so I got a question from my mum. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's into, like, uh, all sorts of eating s- stuff like that, sort of holistic sort of take. So – and I'm also interested in, like, the nutrition side. She says – what would you eat in a typical training day to fuel and recover?
2: Uh, okay. Right. So uh, when I talk about t- typical training as well, people that know me and are listening, like this hasn't been for a while because I've had like viruses and like, et cetera. But when you're doing like a big training day, say like two or three sessions. Um, so we'll take Johnson, like a typical day that like Johnson might have said in your other podcast. So like a Monday morning, you might have like a 20 to 24k row, first row. Second row. (laughs) Make that sound so easy. uh, Second row is like um ten to fourteen K's. Um and then you have weights in the afternoon. So before training I'd like get up and have like a coffee and I'd try and have like two pieces of toast with like peanut butter and jam, maybe. So I'm just thinking about getting um quick, like kind of simple carbs in um to just fuel my body as well for the session that I'm about to do. Um you don't want to do anything that's too hard to digest. A lot of people get obsessed with, like, eating, like, healthy things and, like, just think about, like, how hard it is for your stomach to process, like, a bowl of, like, quinoa or, like, multi-grain toast. Quinoa? I don't know. Oh, is like, that
1: the qu- quinoa? Or yeah, quinoa. That's is how it you quinoa pronounce or quinoa? It's I don't know. Quinoa.
2: <laughs> yeah, quinoa. Okay, so just think of brown rice or quinoa or, like, multi bread. Like, I guess the bread's fine, but just think about, like, how hard it is for your stomach to digest so if your stomach is trying to digest all that stuff while you're training like you're not going to get a lot out of it so mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of like how can I get quick access energy during the training session I'm drinking I drink so much water so I'd maybe have like 1.5 liters two liters you have electrolytes and something in the like first that yeah so in the first session and then that's definitely supplemented with like power powder or electrolytes in the session I'm probably also eating muesli bars or like we have some people like juice boxes or, like, fruit puree, just, again, like, quick carbs in the session. After the session, you get off the water, you're trying to replenish with, like, protein. So, a lot of people drinking banister down chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, chocolate uh. milk. Um, you might have a big bowl of, like, cereal or muesli or, like, there's a really nice RGA across the road, which you would get, like, bacon and egg burgers from. So, anyway, just trying to get as much energy as you can. Second session, again, um, water with electrolytes, maybe a muesli bar as well. That's generally not as intense as the first session, so you can get away with a little less. Get home. It's pretty much almost lunchtime by this time, so you're needing to just intake a lot of just, like, carbs and protein. So, like, you might have, like, chicken, rice and salad or, like – I'm a big fruit fiend as well, so I'm usually having fruit in there. Um, Yeah. Maybe I'll make a toasty. I've been pretty into toasties (laughs) lately. um and then before gym like gym comes around pretty quickly so then you would usually try to snack in the middle of the day as well just get as much as you can in pretty focused on like protein pre and post gym as well um so you might have like a protein bar got to be careful that it's not like that it's batch tested protein whatever's oh, in it or like natural protein you proteins. guys get tested oh my god it's so annoying yeah like you have to be really careful about the protein powders you take as well that it's all batch tested because yeah. there's horror stories of like oh, no. drug testing and getting banned from the sport um but anyway something protein before and after then dinner um I don't even know what I'd usually have for dinner usually some type of like um meat lots of carbs and veg so I guess like and then always dessert as well I'm a pretty sweet tooth so like I guess always like what you're trying to think about is like how much energy am I spending and like really trying to like counteract like refueling as soon as you can because like if you're like if you're waiting more than, like, 30 minutes after a session, like, your body's going to be screaming for nutrients and it starts to break down your own muscle and break down yourself to to fix yourself kind of thing, mm. which is kind of not what you want. So you always want to stay on top of that. Um, and it's pretty easy to, like, lose your appetite or hard, really hard to keep up with eating enough to keep up with your training demands. Um,
1: Probably so the only good thing about rowing. My God, yeah. It's like it's a the only good battle. thing I <laughs> You can eat whatever nah, it's you not want. That you,
2: yeah, you can't, you can't eat whatever you want, but, like, sometimes, like... Like a lot of boys, like uh, having to like put oil in their smoothies or like
1: oil in their um, smoothie. Hamish
2: hey and Rico's used to like eat an entire chocolate mud cake. I've, hear, no, I've he heard, i heard stories the unhealth- about unhealth...
1: unhinged, unhealthiest, unhealthiest breakfast <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, when we went to Hale, it was like disgustingly like, oh my god, yeah. I can't. It, I just have this piling in each stuff other. in. Yep. Oh my god,
2: peanut butter is a, hel- a helpful one as well. Just chuck that in a smoothie, smother it on everything. Like,
1: does weird. anyone do like um, any? He sort of diet anyone like have a way different way of eating like mm. in the standard
2: all of us are pretty similar I'd expect um I guess the only variation is like how well you can tolerate food so when I was younger in year 12 like it was a massive adjustment um stepping into that training so it really took me like honestly a few years to adjust to eating enough and eating properly at the right times because um, it just completely chal- challenges what you've ever had to do before like you have to get used to eating while you're exercising, like eating while you're like, I, I eat while I'm on runs. Like now I could like eat an entire like sandwich or bowl of rice and tuna before I go for a run, like no problems. Like you just have to train your body and your stomach to be able to yeah. take on food and take on carbs like while you're exercising. And it makes a lot of people feel pretty uncomfortable. So I guess like it's just up to personal preference as to like how you can get food in around training because a lot of people lose their appetite near training yeah um but yeah everyone pretty much eats pretty similar quite carb heavy quite protein heavy yeah no one's too unhealthy i don't think when uh, i say unhealthy just they're getting all the right things yeah. and it doesn't really matter what you eat
1: yeah no i think that you're right the body can do all sorts of wonders if you get get it used to it mm-hmm. so that's pretty much all my questions but i did um I, I didn't ask you to give me a question but obviously you're a huge listener of the show yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: I'm excited for this. I do have a question for you.
1: (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. So
2: it's a pretty simple question, and I think I've already touched on this earlier, but when I said meditation wasn't my kind of mindfulness, um, I have my own kind of mindfulness. So I've been working at the reception at waste for probably like six months or so now, and I get all the athletes and all the staff coming through. And my favorite question, which everyone who knows me is going to absolutely cringe, but I ask everyone, what was the best part of your day yesterday? That's my question. Is that your question? Yeah.
1: It's a good, um, it's a good question. And yesterday probably wasn't my best day, which is probably mm. even better to reflect on. It is
2: much better to reflect on when it's not the best day.
1: Definitely probably the best thing would be, I had these, the book come. Yeah. I've pretty much, I read 200 pages. Oh in my God. In like the last 24 hours. I nearly finished it. And also to your left there, I got a 21 day journal on top. Yeah. Um, and then a six month, so get the black one on top. And if you open it up other way, um yeah, it's a twenty-one oh, skip a few pages.
2: Epic. We had kind of one of these at waste.
1: And so you keep going. And you'll so that's like day two. I skipped to day two because yeah. um, they, they had a similar thing in there. But yeah. They've got heaps of these open ended questions and awesome. that says thanks, someone was saying. But yeah. I think I, I read the and listened to heaps of this stuff on empathy mm. with Hugh Van Cullenberg. And Actually, I don't think it's Cullenberg. I think I said it wrong one time. But, uh, yeah. It might, but who cares? Someone called Hugh. <laughs> it's Hugh. <you>. Um V. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, I'm getting into all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that was easily the best part of my day because, like, I didn't have a great day. But at the end of the day, when I started doing that, I mm. felt really like I was happy because it, it was like I know this is, like, Gonna help me, yeah, get in a better headspace.
2: Definitely, and that's like that's one of the reasons I love to answer the question. So, like, uh, sorry, ask the question. Um, I think like a lot of people get annoyed with me because like it takes them ages to answer, and that's the thing. Like, no one's very like it. It just makes you more mindful. Like, even if you had a terrible day, even if nothing great happened, like. It can be as simple as like, did you have a really good meal one time? Did somebody text you that you made that made you smile? Like, did you see a funny meme? Like, any little good thing? Like, it just makes you focus on something that's made you happy and something good in the day. And I think like, obviously, I have to give my answer back to people, um, because if they're, if they're a good conversationalist, they'll yeah, they'll ask me, me uh, back. Not me. No, you're pretty good. Like, uh, they I forgot were. to ask. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> What's the best part of your well, day yesterday? Oh, I um, I had probably the best sleep I've had in like two months it was incredible I actually went to my mum's house because I really just felt like a hug um and my dad and my brother were being quite standoffish so went to my mum's house for a hug but my mum wasn't there and I fell asleep on the couch literally slept for 10 hours best sleep I've ever had
1: another bonus of being yeah a hu-
2: it, the, the hug probably like would have been the best part of my day but anyway um but yeah just reflecting on the small things and Definitely, over the last six months, like I seriously, no joke, like it has improved my well being so much. Just being more mindful and realizing the good in every day.
1: Yeah, there's so, so much little in, practice, so much in that, and like you said, you have to practice it. And mm. there was the stat in the book about it, like because I feel like we're so future oriented, yeah, and we don't spend enough time to reflect, yeah. And when we do reflect on what went well mm-hmm. and what are the good things, and we improve our gratefulness, like it make we just start subconsciously yeah being more aware of the positives
2: and it's literally come to the point now where I have people walk in and they smile at me and they're like I've got the best part of my day like it's it's so cool that like to start to see the change in other people over time as well like you'll be doing something and you'll just realize how good it is or realize how happy it makes you so yeah it was a good good answer (laughs)
1: thanks Mm -hmm. I love that anyways that's all I've got but um is there anything else you wanted to add
2: I think that's all from me at the moment
1: Yeah, it's it's gone on for a (laughs) while. It really has. It's been a huge chat, but no, it's been – no, I've loved it. Um,
2: Praying for you editing this way.
1: (laughs) No, it won't won't be a hard edit. It'll be good. Anyways, thanks for coming on. um, I loved having you on. It was a great chat and it's good to get to know you a bit more and get a bit of insight into a female athlete.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I have really enjoyed it. It's been a great chat. Lots of thinking.
1: (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys, and I hope you enjoyed that one. So research, try and find, but you
0: don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind. You're confused and want to know mystery, what is to be?
1: So much more than meets the eye. Listen to me, time is your key. You'll find out by and by. You
0: hold up.